to you about this morning is moral authority, gay marriage, and the Bible. And I am not speaking to the lost, and I'm not speaking this morning to the homosexual agenda. I'm speaking to Christians. And so I really need you to pay attention, and I want you to consider this because I know that you probably have family members and friends and other Christians that you know that are confused and quite possibly uh, bailing the authority of Scripture in their lives because of personal relationships and friendships with others. And so we really need to get back to understanding what's at stake here. And what I want you to understand this morning is that we're not talking about homosexuality, we are talking about holy sexuality. This is the difference. We're not focusing just on one interest group. We're fixing our interest on holy sexuality. What does the Bible say is the rule and order for holy sexuality? God created it. He designed it. And it has a purpose and function in society and the created order. And there's a design that needs to be followed because if it is not, it will begin to break down social order for the good of all. And so we're not attacking anyone. And again, I'm speaking to Christians on the issue of moral authority. Say that word with me, please. Moral authority. By the time we get through with this teaching, I hope you'll begin to grasp what that means as a people, our responsibility to it, and what it means in a society. Because you have to ask the question, where do I get my authority for morality? What is the basis of your authority for morality and sexual morality? Who says what is right and wrong? Is there any authority that can speak to what is right and wrong sexually? And that's why I'm speaking to the church, because the church is losing its moral authority and, in fact, is forsaking the only foundation we have for moral authority, and that is the Scriptures, the Word of God. So is the Bible the moral authority for social behavior? The church would say most definitely. It's not based on opinion. It's not based on preference. It's based on inspiration from God. And that God has spoken this, given it to man, so that we might obey and find health and prosperity in our lives. And so God designed it. When homosexual marriage is instated, and it probably will be by the end of this year. When homosexual marriage is instated, we have to recognize that religious freedom will have to give way to constitutional law. In other words, the church is no longer going to be the moral authority in this nation. The Bible is no longer going to be the moral authority. The Bible will now come under constitutional law if they pass gay marriage. Now what does that say for the use of Scripture and its references to homosexuality? It puts the Bible under the authority of the law. And as in Canada, the law will then dictate what can be preached in a church and what cannot. And that changes things, doesn't it? Now, moral authority will then be based on 2% of the population's desire. 
That 2% has an agenda that has permeated our society and now has become popular opinion. And in that case, the Bible will be dismissed as not having authority over morality. And it will then be classified as hate speech. Now, I'm speaking of holy sexuality because the church failed long ago on this. Not just now with the homosexual agenda. If you'll look back to the 60s, you'll see that's where the church began to abandon its moral authority. During the sexual revolution, you, you can look right down the list of biblical mandates to healthy sexuality, and it started with fornication. And with the sexual revolution, fornication no longer was an issue. It was not something that we would pay attention to or was sin or scripturally wrong, at least in the culture at large. The church knew that it wasn't right, but the church was lax on pushing that issue of fornication. And what happened when fornication became something of a norm, uh, it crept into the church as well, but in society it became a norm, and therefore we needed to develop the pill or birth control in such a way for more freedom for fornication. Fornication is sex outside of marriage, or sex before the marriage covenant. And it has, it's always been around, of course, and the Bible has spoken to it as being improper and unhealthy for a society. Why? Well, look what it did in our society. It led next to birth control, which then led to unwanted pregnancies and abortion. And we've been murdering babies ever since. And again, we didn't hold a hard, fast line as the church. After that came about, then we saw adultery increasing in marriages, and the sexual revolution promoted so much uh, sexual activity and adultery, divorce has risen beyond 52% in all marriages, in the church and out. You see, what's happened to the moral authority of Scripture in people's lives has lessened and lessened. Well, right on down the list, you come to the next level of immorality, and that is then homosexuality. And now, as that is going to come forward, what will that do as the church stands confused days and has nothing to say with any moral authority on the issue? Many churches are caving on this issue, accepting and moving towards it because we need to be loving and kind. Can I tell you, it is not about homosexualities. The bottom line is about the inspiration of Scripture. Is this the moral authority? In your life, Christian, in your life. Because now the results of homosexuality being fully accepted in our culture and society has its uh, consequences, and that is the redefinition of marriage. Once marriage is now redefined, you have taken something that is defined by God and now having it defined by popular opinion. And so marriage is not up for a vote as to its definition. It was designed by God specifically for the health and the perpetuation of the human race and the human family and society. Homosexuality will have its impact just as fornication has and adultery has on family life and on children. So will homosexuality on marriage and culture and society, which will continue because sin ever increases to the next level of pedophilia to where we'll have incest and to the 
to the extreme, even unto bestiality. Because if I can marry whoever I want, I can do whatever I want sexually. It is, in fact, an issue about biblical moral authority. Can I help define that for you? It's not about marriage rights for homosexuals. Though it is for individual groups, and some say that we want the same right, that is the, how can I put it, that is the cloak over this. The basic point underneath all of that is the overthrow of the moral authority of Scripture. Let me give you some evidences. In the New York Times, August 31st, 2003, they wrote this article, in the first two months after Ontario's highest court legalized marriage for same-sex couples, fewer than 500 same-sex Canadian couples had taken marriage licenses in Toronto. Even though the city has over 6,000 gay couples registered as permanent partners. The issue isn't necessarily that they want to be married and have that. The issue is to attack the institution and definition of marriage. I'll go on. Michael Raphael, the editor of a Toronto gay magazine, said, I'd be for marriage if I thought gay people would challenge and change the institution and not buy into the traditional meaning of till death do us part and monogamy forever. Ronaldo Walcott, a sociologist at the University of Toronto, lamented, Will queers have to live with the heterosexual forms of guilt associated with something called cheating? You see, redefining marriage is not the issue of we want to be married. It is redefining the issue of what is marriage. And though we want the right to be married, we don't want to live under the dictates of biblical marriage or heterosexual understanding of marriage. It is changing and it would conform to their desire. Now we could go into a long discussion on what the homosexual agenda means with gay marriage, but that's not what I'm speaking on today. What I'm speaking on is the effects of this and where the Christians need to stand. Gay marriage is not about equal rights, it's about moral authority. Say it with me, moral authority. If you take the authority away from Scripture, and please, when you're in your discussions with friends and family, and they want to change the definition of marriage and eliminate it, please ask this question, by what moral authority do you want to live? Always go to the foundation and the basis by which they'll live their lives. They typically have no moral authority or foundation. If you don't have Scripture, then what is your authority to pick and choose what is right and wrong morally? If you have no truth that is transcended and outside of yourselves, then what law code or moral code will you decide to use in your society? If we eliminate Scripture, who determines what is right and wrong? And I hear this all the time when we make this point, and those who want to have gay marriage, uh, they, and we say it will lead to this and that, and they go, oh, it's that slippery slope argument. 
And that's, the, that's how they refute it. That, that's the refutation. To refute the slippery slope argument is you mock it. But it begs the question, who will determine morality? What will determine morality? And again, we present the slippery slope because it is a slippery slope. If marriage is redefined to allow a man marry a man and a woman marry a woman, then what other constraints are left? Numbers? Age? Relationships? Why would that matter if you have taken restrictions off of the definition of marriage? Now, let's go on. What is our rule of moral authority? Scripture. Then why, brothers and sisters, are so many Christians bailing on the Scriptures? There are so many churches ordaining homosexuals and bailing. And again, on holy sexuality, I'm speaking of all moral sexual conduct. I'm not just speaking about homosexuality, but also adultery and fornication. On all of these issues, the Scripture speaks loud and clear. We shouldn't blink at it, look the other way, and we shouldn't condone what the Scripture says is immoral and sin. All right? Now, when Christians say the Bible's not right concerning homosexual sin or that it's outdated, what they're saying as Christians is, I no longer believe this to be an inspired word of God. And so for Christians to say, and here's the typical argument. You'll hear this over and over as you'll listen to the news and you'll listen to the, dis- to the discussions and you'll talk about the moral authority of Scripture versus the sin of adultery or homosexuality or whatever. And here's typically when people see that and see, oh, that's kind of rough, you know, that Old Testament passage, this and that. I'm talking about Christians now. They'll say, I just don't think it applies. And here's the typical answer, because it's 2013. Now there is a ready defense for your point of view. It's 2013. So Christians that I'm speaking to right now, do you mean to tell me the eternal God establishes what is sin and not sin based on the year of a human calendar? Could I point something out? When God gave the law concerning sexual morality and relationship to Israel, whatever date that was, He said, you will not commit fornication, you'll not commit incest, you'll not commit adultery, you'll not commit homosexuality, you'll not commit bestiality. Do you know why he gave those laws? It's really simple. Because people were committing fornication, people were committing bestiality, people were committing homosexuality, people were... He was addressing the sin, not the age, not the date on a calendar, not the cultural time period... He was dealing with the sin that the people were committing. These sins have been around since the beginning of time. They'll be here in 2050. They'll be here until Christ returns. The year has nothing to do with it. And for a Christian to think that the Bible is outdated and a 
ancient, old, tired law system is to forsake the inspiration of Scripture. And so I'm speaking to the church who is one after another giving up on the truth of God. Oh no, I still believe in Jesus. I still believe that God is the Lord and I still believe in a heaven and hell and I still believe in this and I still believe that. If you give, and it's the same as the issue of redefining marriage, if you give up on any part of the Scripture as not applying today, you've given up on the entirety of it because now you've entered another slippery slope. And so Christians cannot give up on the inspiration of Scripture. Now, God called these things sin because they are not in the order and the design that he created. They have a devastating impact on a society, and it breaks down the family unit and the health of a community. God doesn't change his stand because we think we're so enlightened. So the word of God is true and has been established in heaven, as the psalmist declares. And so, Christians, we have got to pay attention and understand what's going on. So, I go back to the true issue that is at hand in our land right now that the church must decide to stand on. And that is the Bible. It leads us to two questions. This is the Queen James Bible. You, you can... Uh, what is everybody laughing at? You can buy it right now on Amazon. You think I'm a joke? This is a joke. This is not a joke. This is the Queen James Bible. You can purchase it at any um, bookstore. Okay? And so what the Queen James Bible is, is a retranslation of the Bible that in its proper meaning and understanding to what the actual words meant and not what the King James and other older, antiquated English translations have translated, obviously shaded against homosexuality. And so this is being propagated as a better translation and more correct as to what was meant in Leviticus and what was meant by Paul in the book of Romans and what really happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. And so this Bible corrects all of those problems. All right? So as Christians, we need to know what the Bible does say. Here's what happens with Christians. You have children that may be gay, homosexual. You have friends. You may have cousins. You, you, you may know some people at work, and they are really nice people who really love each other. No doubt that there are many people who are really nice. And that there are people, can a man love a man? Uh, with all his heart? Definitely. Can a woman love a You can definitely love, but there's something that moves into uh, that which is immoral when it crosses proper sexual relationships, according to Scripture. We're not saying that they're not nice people, and as Christians, we're saying, as Christ, we would lay our lives down for you, that you may come to a knowledge of Christ. We will love you. We will care for you. But 
we must let you know what the Word of God says about that sexual behavior. The same way I would go to my children, my cousin, my aunt, or my uncle that's involved in an adulterous affair, I would say, I love you, I care for you, I think you're a great person, but what you are doing is wrong, it is sin, and it is breaking the family apart. And it will continue to destroy our society. Uh, Let's put homosexuality out of this and just keep it at adultery. This will destroy our society if marriages cannot last. Right? Could I say that if we allow fornication to run rampant as it is running rampant and we don't teach our children to abstain from sex until marriage, can I tell you it is going to damage and destroy our society? God told us that. And so biblically, I love you, I care for you, I think you're great, but what you're doing is damaging. And if all of society begins to continue to do that, the level of sexually transmitted disease is going off the charts, and people are are, uh, sick, and it is creating unwanted pregnancies and children and, and all sorts of problems that is happening in our society. Do you see? It is a sin. So... I know they're nice people, and I know they love each other. That is not the point. The point is, what does God say is the problem? Well, why are you picking on them? I won't pick on them. I'll pick on everybody. We're all sinners, all going to hell. And we need a Savior who can save us from our sin. Okay, But that is, in fact what is under attack here the idea that you would call me a sinner what gives you the right to say i'm a sinner well my moral authority comes from the word of god which is scripture i don't care about scripture i could care less about your bible and its antiquated ways so what well then fine in our discussion could i ask you Where does your moral authority come from? And how will our society look if we follow your principles? There's typically no answer for that. There is no moral authority. It's basically do what you want. So what is under attack here is this. Either, and this is where the church has to rise or fall, stand, individually, each of you must make this decision. Either the Bible is not inspired concerning its views on sexual morality or it's mistranslated. Now, those two tracks are coming at us from the same side. Many are saying, no, the Bible is not the inspired Word of God. It's an antiquated book. It's made up of fables and stories by men and women. And church, if you've not done the homework, if you've not studied, and if you don't have the ability to defend the Word of God, you will fall under the pressure of this. The societal societal pressure concerning the inspiration of Scripture is turning up. The heat is turning up on this. The new atheists are, are just shredding the Christian faith. And if you have not studied and determined a ready defense for why you believe the Word of God is inspired and can hold to it, you'll be shredded along with it. I can tell you that. 
Maybe some of you know some folks who have already caved on the idea that, well, Jesus is love and we should love everybody. He really didn't speak about homosexuality, so it must be okay and we should love. Now, the Bible does directly speak to it. So, is it inspired or not? If it's not, wow, then what's left? If it's not inspired about homosexuality, is it inspired about adultery? Is it inspired about anything else? Is it inspired about the resurrection? Is it inspired about the death and crucifixion? Is it inspired about the virgin birth? Is it inspired about anything? If not, we're in trouble. So, was it mistranslated? And that's the other approach. Yes, it's mistranslated. And so what I want to go with you uh, today through is some of the scriptures concerning homosexuality that they say have been mistranslated and that the Queen James Bible would correct for us. So we need to understand what's being said. Now, this isn't maybe your favorite after week after Easter topic, but in my spirit, this is forefront to the battle we're in. And it is right in line with the power of the resurrection and Christ ascending to the throne of God because He has all authority and power and His Word is the Word of the King. And so we need to know how to defend it. So let's go to the first one. Let's go to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Basically, the restructuring for the homosexual community on the story of Sodom and Gomorrah is that if you'll read Ezekiel and you'll see what the actual problem with Sodom and Gomorrah was is that they were proud. They had pride and that was the and they were inhospitable. These are the two main issues that they say God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. They had pride and they were inhospitable. Well, I'm waiting for New York and Texas to blow up next then, if that's the case. But to have pride and to be inhospitable, is that really the reason God destroyed the cities? Well, we can see, because they contend that when the angels went there and said, bring those men out, we want to know them, they try to give you all sorts of twists and turns and reasoning of that. To know them didn't mean sexually. But it did. In the context of all that's being written there, it certainly means yes. Why would Lot have offered? Not, I'm not giving approval to what Lot did. Neither is the Bible. It's just telling the story of what Lot did. Lot offered his two daughters to them to have their way. Hmm. What does that mean? I mean, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure, to figure this out, right? They didn't want the women. They wanted the angels. Ezekiel 16, 15 says this concerning Sodom and Gomorrah. But you trusted in your beauty and played the whore because of your renown and lavished your whorings on any passerby. What do you think that's talking about? Okay. Jude 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in what? Sexual immorality and pursued what? Unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Come on. It's very clear. The abomination that the King James uses here for unnatural desire is exactly what's spoken of in Leviticus and when you put these together without any twists and turns, you can see that the issue here is homosexual sin. 
the unnatural desires of sexual immorality on anyone who would pass by. That was the issue. Let's go to the next one, Leviticus. Leviticus 18, 22, and Leviticus 20, 13. You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It's an abomination. They say that's not the whole story. God has no problem with, problem with loving and committed relationships. God is love. And so a loving, committed relationship is all God cares about. What he's really talking here about is temple prostitution. In the old days, in the surrounding areas of the Can Canaanites and the Philistines, they would have temple prostitutes that when you went to the temple to offer sacrifice, it was a sexual sacrifice. You would have sex with a male or female temple prostitute unto God. And so God's really saying, abstain from that. Otherwise, homosexual relationships that are loving and caring are okay. The only problem with that is you'd have to read the rest of the list that is in Leviticus 18 concerning sexual moral relationships. If that's the case, well then, incest, adultery, bestiality are okay as long as you're not doing it with a temple prostitute. It makes no sense at all because it lists all of the sexual immor immoral acts and says these are all wrong. Well, if you say that the homosexual one is only wrong because of a temple prostitute, you have to put all of them in that list and then say they're okay as long as it's not with a temple prostitute. Do you see what I mean? It, it doesn't logically line up. So it's very clear in Scripture that this is an immoral act as fornication, as adultery, as bestiality, and the others. All right? So we move on. What about Romans 1, 26 and 27, where Paul speaks about homosexuality? For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committed shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. Paul's not giving you the full account. In the Queen James, you'll get the right translation. What the Queen James says is this, that the reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions is the women exchange natural relations with those that are contrary to nature. They say women who are born gay were giving up their natural relationship with other women for the sake of having sex with men. That's unnatural for a gay woman. That doesn't hold because in the very next sentence it says, likewise, men gave up natural relations with women. So what's the context? Natural relations is women to women, men to men. So they've twisted it. And it's twisted right within the verse. They go on to say, again with the temple prostitute, they say men committing shameless ritual acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty of their error. All right? So they're, again, going back to the temple prostitute thing that God honors and loves loving, monogamous, gay relationships. Okay? 
And that's what they're saying this verse says. This verse says nothing like that. And it has nothing to do with temple prostitution. And Paul is, in fact, simply reiterating the Levitical law of what is moral sexual relationships. You may have thought that coming to church today, you didn't want to hear this. But six out of the other days, our society is being governed by this. And as the church, if you don't have an answer, then we're missing the boat here. Let's go on. But Jesus loves everybody. And if we're Christians, we should love. Most definitely, we should love the homosexual. We should love the adulterer. We should love the fornicator. We should love all people who are created in God's image. And we should care for them. Care for them so much that we would speak the truth of the gospel to them. That sin is binding their lives as sin bound my life. But there is a Savior who will deliver us. Now, Jesus affirms gay people. Matthew 8, 5, 13 says so. The billboard says it. Do you know how many Christians are agreeing with this? They are in total favor with this. So, uh, and many of you have been attacked over this. Uh, I've been to different meetings in different situations where when you make a scriptural stand, the people who come against you the loudest are other Christians. Now, did Jesus affirm gay couples as this billboard says? According to Matthew 8, 5 through 13, nowhere in that passage does that even make a reference to a gay couple. Here's the passage. A centurion came to Jesus and said, my servant is sick. Can you heal him? He said, yes, I'm coming. And the centurion said, you don't have to come. You're a man under authority. Just say it and it will be so. And as the man, the centurion returned home, his servant was healed. There you go. Obviously, if there's a centurion and he's got a servant in his house, in his bed, he must be gay. Right? Jesus said, some people are born gay. Matthew 19, verses 10 to 12. There are many Christians who will never go to Matthew 19, 10 to 12, but just think, I guess he does. Say that there are people born gay. Who are we to say that they're not? Scientific research has proven that people are born gay. No, it has not. Absolutely not. The animal kingdom proves that there are gays. Look at how many gay animals there are. There are no gay animals, and there's never been studies on gay animals, but they'll say there are, just like this. You know what Jesus said in Matthew 19, 10 to 12? Some are born eunuchs. What that means is they don't involve themselves in sexual relations and they stay eunuchs so that they may serve the kingdom of God. And so the issue about Jesus is this, as this man holds a sign. Jesus said, uh, this is what Jesus said about gay people. Nothing. Since Jesus was silent about homosexuality, he must therefore approve of it. Jesus was a Jew who lived under the authority of the law. 
What did Jesus say about the law? Don't think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I came not to abolish them, but to what? Fulfill them, uphold them, and live according to them. Jesus would not have contradicted the book of Leviticus if he did. He could not have been the Son of God. Think. Think. Let's go on. Jesus said this concerning sexual relations. Matthew 19, 4-5. Have you not read? What's he giving credence to? Scripture. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, the two shall become one. That is the sexual orientation of mankind. That is the order for family and society. Father, mother, man and a woman becoming one. And it is a creation ordinance from the beginning. And this is the order that Christ has declared and made the rule of Scripture. Let's go on. But Jesus loves everybody and grace doesn't condemn. You'll remember when Jesus came to that woman who was caught in adultery, he showed grace, didn't condemn. Where are your accusers? I don't condemn you. But let's finish the sentence. And from now on, Sin no more. Go and what? Sin no more. What did Jesus Jesus identify adultery as? Sin. What is this woman to no longer do? Right? Adultery. No longer committing adultery. No longer sin. He said sin no more. What grace does, grace does not pardon sin. Grace is given to empower you to overcome sin. That's why grace was given to us, that we may have the power to overcome it. And so, what am I saying by this as I speak to Christians? The church is in trouble. Because, brothers and sisters, our fight and our war is not against flesh and blood. It's not just with the gay agenda. It is at a higher agenda that has been at work in this country for an awful long time to dismantle the authority, the moral authority of Scripture over a society and the moral authority in your own lives and to take Scripture and remove it and say that truth is relative and not authoritative. And by doing this, our war is in the heavenlies. The church needs to pray. The church needs to seek God and hold to the inspiration of Scripture. But what many are doing is dropping their sword. They're taking the bait of the enemy and saying for the sake of love and caring for people that I know, I'll give this up. You do not have to hate anybody by calling sin, sin. The most loving thing you can do is let them know that God considers this sin and that there's a solution and a help for you. Don't don't drop the sword. 18th century Britain was a cesspool of morality. It was so awful. There was such a moral decline. In fact, in one day they had to cancel Parliament because half of the members of Parliament were still recovering from a hangover. Children were being abandoned. 
worked to death, sexual immorality, prostitution, and sickness and disease from sexually transmitted diseases were horrible. Absolutely at an all-time high. But God used two men to ignite a fire. John Wesley and George Whitfield began to speak into the moral mess of Great Britain. And revival came and changed that land. John Wesley said this, what one generation tolerates, the next generation will embrace. That has already happened concerning gay marriage and homosexuality. What we tolerate from here on out, our grandchildren will now embrace. Unless someone holds the standard of moral authority and says, thus saith the Lord. You don't have to be accepted by whoever you say it to. Just say it. Let the Holy Spirit bring them unto conviction. But somebody stand. Somebody hold fast. I know maybe a daughter or a son in your family may be gay, may have come out, maybe a brother or sister, maybe a parent, and you love them and you care for them, But even if they were to commit adultery or fornication, you would say, the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. I love you, but you need to understand what God's Word says. I didn't write it, but I will defend it. Amen. Stand with me this morning and bow your heads.